unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I am good, and I'm excited for today's episode. I'm usually excited for all the episodes, but especially today because we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to me, so I'm uh, I'm happy when I saw the show notes for this week's episode. Very cool. All right, well, let's jump into it. Most everybody accepts that stories are the best way to grab and hold someone's attention, but does that mean that any story you use in your copy will help you with your sales? A lot of people seem to have never asked or considered that question, and today we're going to dig into it. You see, Joseph Campbell's 1949 book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, eventually launched a revolution in storytelling, especially among professional storytellers. Campbell's idea of the hero's journey has become accepted truth as the way to tell a story for many people. Is that really true in copy? We're going to take a careful look at this question today and come up with some answers so you don't make the mistakes I've seen so many other copywriters make with their stories. But first, here's the answer to another question I bet you never asked. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims or write for offers in highly regulated industries like business opportunity, health, or finance, you may want to get a legal review before you publish your copy. Most of my clients do this all the time. I want to say up front, I am not against heroes' journey stories. Quite to the contrary. I've spent a large part of my life studying them and an even larger part of my life reading, watching, and enjoying them. My main point today is that you should use them as they were intended to be used and where they work. I mean, I like handheld power drills, but I don't think you should use one to open a can of chili. It's interesting, for example, that a typical movie is a two-hour hero's journey. It starts with an ordinary person on an ordinary day who gets thrown into a long and complicated challenge that changes the person's life. Tests, friends, discoveries, foes, all of those things. And as you watch the story or read the story, At one or more point, you say, how is he going to get out of this one? Or is it even possible she can make it through that problem? And while, for example, the studios make two-hour stories in the forms of a hero's journey, they don't sell them that way. Studios sell movies with little movies of 30 seconds to two minutes called trailers. And a trailer has high points from the movie called moments and one overriding question or theme to get you intrigued enough to buy a ticket or pay for a view on your TV and devote two hours of your life to watching the movie. So there's a hint right there on one major difference between the two types of stories, but they have things in common too. One thing that Hero's Journey stories and all other stories have in common is they cause an emotional response in a viewer. Sometimes huge ones, all good stories, 
have an emotional impact of some kind. Another thing they have in common is they're usually about people, not about things or ideas. Usually one main person. Of course, there are other people in the story too, but it's usually about one person, maybe a tight-knit group of people or a pair of people like a buddy movie. But that said, there are a lot more differences than similarities. We're going to talk about five of the key differences today. And the first one, dramatic, difference number one is dramatic stories are much, much longer than sales stories. This difference follows up on what we were talking about before, how movies are much longer than the trailers that promote them. But we're going to go much further than that. Everyone knows a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But unless you're writing one, you've probably never given a thought to the distance between the beginning and the end. And that's important, especially when we're comparing dramatic stories to sales stories. Let's talk about one of the greatest stories of all time, Romeo and Juliet. The script contains five acts, which are made up of 24 scenes in a prologue. To get a troupe of actors together and actually perform that play takes about three hours. Now, when I was in high school, the only test I failed completely was on Romeo and Juliet. I was supposed to memorize a speech and write it out during a closed book test. But I wasn't very good at memorizing then, and I'm not good at it now. But I digress. So, Nathan, we've talked about Lee Child before in this show, and he is definitely a great writer. His latest book, which will come out between the time we record this and the time you are listening to this, the book is called No Plan B, and it runs 368 pages in the print edition. Nothing wrong with that. Just make a note of that. You'll see why very soon. The top box office movie this year was Top Gun Maverick. I paid good money myself, and I plopped myself down on my couch to watch much younger men fight an aircraft for the U.S. against an unknown country referred to only as the enemy. Yeah, some of it was definitely goofy, but I really liked it. All two hours and 20 minutes worth. So hours and hours and hundreds and hundreds of pages. And what about sales stories? And don't bring up infomercials because each infomercial is a combo of many stories and pitches, some of which are repeated two or more times in a 30-minute presentation. I mean, regular stories, what we copywriters write most of the time. Well, the best-selling single story in history with tracked results brought in a cool $2 billion, and that was the Wall Street Journal's Two Young Men letter. Total length, a whopping two pages. And as I'll show you shortly, most of the letter is not even a story. What about VSLs? Now, I know there are some exceptions. There's Chris Haddad. There's Andre Chaperone. But 95% of the time, what I'm about to say is true. I was talking about this a couple nights ago with our friend of the podcast, Million Dollar Mike Morgan. He's hyper aware of the market right now. Um, he's a copy chief. He's a copywriter. He's writing VSL scripts that in 2022 are bringing in six and seven figures by himself with, with, with his team. And Mike said at most, the story in a VSL today that works is two to three minutes long. He didn't say two hours and 20 minutes. He said two to three minutes long. One of the best direct response newspaper ads of all time in terms of story quality 
and the sheer number of times the ad ran was Joe Carbo's famous ad, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. It took up a full page in broadsheet newspaper, but only one-sixth of it was copy. And maybe the most famous magazine ad of all time was John Capel's They Laughed When I Sat Down at the Piano. But only two-thirds of the copy was story, and the entire total amount of the copy was reduced by a drawing up at the top, which took up one quarter of the page. Don't worry about doing the math here. My point is this. Does it really make sense to apply the formula of the hero's journey, or for that matter, any formula for dramatic stories when sales stories are so completely different? We'll get into a few other differences throughout the show, but for now, let's start with this point. Beyond any doubt, sales stories are much shorter than dramatic stories. Your experience, your thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking of the old comic book ad where the guy's on the beach and he gets the bully comes up and kicks sand in his face. Yeah. It's, just, it's kind of a hero's journey. It's definitely placed in comic books, which are definitely hero's journey, but it's a single page and there's copy on it, but it's in word balloons and in the little Johnson box. But the majority of the page is artwork and Maybe the art is also a form of storytelling, but yeah, it's one page, and that was also one of those ads that ran and ran and ran because it was so effective. Yeah, great point. And it's a hero's journey in one sense, but there's no, we'll get to this later, there's no inner journey, there's no outer journey, there's no subplot, there's no, well, there is a romantic interest, but there's a lot of pieces of a normal hero's journey I mean, one thing at a hero's journey is what they call curtain two in Hollywood, which is the point at all, it's all of which is lost. Now, you could say when he walks off the beach, um, and his girlfriend walks away from him, all is lost. But no, nah, it's like she got disappointed and pissed off. She said, hell with you. But she didn't say, I'll never see you again, which is kind of, but anyway, yeah. So that, to me, is not a hero's journey in the same sense that a lot of people talk about it. But you're right. It does fit some of the, some of the parameters pretty well. Okay, so difference number two, dramatic stories often have a moral point or convey life wisdom. And that's not the job of a sales story. Now, as we get into the second difference, I, again, don't want you to get the idea I don't like dramatic stories. As I said before, I like them very much, and I love some of them. Look at my scheduled panel to record on my DVR, and you'll find about a dozen shows I watch every week that are dramatic stories and usually one or two movies, too. But just because I love them for what they are doesn't mean I think you should use them for what they're not meant to be used for. Sales stories don't usually teach life lessons, but dramatic stories almost always do. Think about Groundhog Day. If that isn't a metaphor for real life, I don't know what is. <laughs> Keep making the same stupid mistake over and over again until you shake that stubborn streak and start to look at better ways to do things. Or how about the karate kid? Very entertaining, but also very enlightening. Daniel eventually learns what mastery and assertiveness are all about. Doesn't come easy, but Mr. Miyagi patiently and expertly guides him. Great story. How about the Shawshank Redemption? Important lessons about the power of persistence and hope. Very inspiring film. But none of these stories would work great 
as sales stories. Why? Because the scope of a sales story is so much smaller as it should be to get the job done. And what's a job? It's not to teach a life lesson or to explore a moral quandary. The job of a sales story is to give the prospect a vivid experience of how and why their life will be better when they use your product. That's what good sales stories do. As a writer, you should leave the grander themes to your novel or screenplay. And I'm going to insert this just for you, Nathan, or your comic book. Don't confuse smart selling with epic storytelling. So the comparison that I'm thinking of, rather than the contrast, I know that one of the reasons why we're so compelled to learn through stories and to pay attention to stories is stories give give us the chance to experience a dangerous situation and learn a valuable lesson without actually having to be in that dangerous situation. So we can learn from somebody else's experience without actually putting ourselves in danger. What I'm thinking of is those old infomercials where it's like the frustrated mom opening the bag of cereal and it goes all over the counter. It's kind of the same thing where you get to experience the danger of the cereal flying all over the counter without actually having to be there. And so there is that comparison and contradiction or contrast where we we are letting people have that experience, letting people have that dramatic experience without actually having to live through it. So there is a little bit of that in in sales storytelling. I want to get your take on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sales stories definitely take a few elements of dramatic stories and condense them. But I haven't heard of any box office hits that were called the cereal that exploded all over the kitchen counter. (laughs) it's just too small for an epic story but it is perfect for selling a product and it is perfect for what happens in real life Mm -hmm. okay okay good and i'm glad you brought that up when you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical who you gonna call not ghostbusters they don't do copy critiques last time i checked a lot of people from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters reach out to me I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to GarfinkelCoaching.com and click on the services tab. GarfinkelCoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now... Back to the show. So let's get to difference number three. Dramatic stories can include a complex inner journey, outer journey theme, and multiple plot lines. Mm -hmm. A sales story is usually simple and about just one thing. Mm -hmm. Dramatic stories have a lot of jobs to do if they reach the goal of being emotionally satisfying and believable. Let's look at the classic movie Rocky. Rocky has an inner journey. 
to go from being a nobody to becoming somebody and feeling like he's really somebody. But he doesn't do that with a treasure map and a long string of affirmations because his outer journey is a lot more real world. Training, coaches, growth, running up 72 steps over and over again. He reaches his goal of the inner journey by reaching the goal of his outer journey, which is he has to compete on a prize fight on New Year's Day with Apollo Creed, then the heavyweight champion of the world. Creed promises he'll knock Rocky out in three rounds, but Rocky hangs in for all 15. He doesn't win the fight, but he achieves his goal. A nobody could never last 15 rounds. Therefore, Rocky achieves his goal of becoming a somebody, a somebody who's important and respected. Okay, add to that the romantic subplot with his girlfriend, Adrian. Great story and very successful at the box office. It raked in a quarter of a billion dollars in 1976. Today, 46 years later, adjusted for inflation, that's $1 billion. Impressive. But there's even more to the story than the inner journey, the outer journey, and the romantic subplot. There are so many components a great dramatic story needs, and rightfully so. However, not a good idea for a sales story. I mean, if you're making a new kind of duct tape, that's twice as sticky and costs half as much, you should limit your sales story to demonstrations of that and comparisons to inferior brands of duct tape. Tape, duct tape. Sales stories, <laughs> duct tape. Sales stories for relationship and goal achievement products can be a little more complex than duct tape stories. An example is the Wall Street Journal to Young Letterman, which is about career success. It's two pages long. The screenplay for Rocky is 115 pages. Big difference. Any thought about complexity? Just something that you've told me time and time again, which applies in both areas, but definitely to a sales letter. If it doesn't need to be there, it needs to be deleted and going through and editing and making sure that every sentence, every word has economic value is one of the things that really makes your sales letters hit home. And you can be a little bit more loose with traditional storytelling, but when it comes to sales stories or sales messages, you definitely need to make sure that if it's not pushing towards the sale, it's not there. That's a really great point. And you know, this is where people can run into problems if they try and complete a checklist that's for a dramatic story in their sales stories. Well, do I have an antagonist? Do I have a trickster? Do I have a special world and a, a regular? No, you just need to show the duct tape is stickier and it costs less. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Difference number four. Dramatic stories can include ambiguities. In other words, gray areas. Sales stories, not so much. At some point in most people's lives, they come to realize that not everything is as clear-cut and simple as they once thought everything was. They find out disturbing facts of life. Good people have flaws. Bad people have redeeming qualities. The perfection that exists in the mind does not always show up in reality. Maybe, rarely, maybe, never. You could call a realization like that maturity or clear-headedness 
or simply the sum total of a lot of years of experience. One way we get to begin to have this realization without a lot of stress is by taking in dramatic stories, just like you were talking about before the danger, Nathan, with, you know, dramatic stories. Also dealing with sometimes uncomfortable reality of ambiguity. Sometimes we take this in through dramatic stories because these stories are often sprinkled with what's called ambiguity. And a definition of ambiguity is the quality of being open to more than one interpretation inexactness. Mathematicians hate ambiguity. Okay. Good dramatic stories include ambiguity. Um, this makes the stories more interesting and actually makes them more like life itself, which then makes them more believable. Now, I happen to be a fan of the Dick Wolf produced TV dramas, the Law and Order series and the FBI series. And with the variations, that's six shows a week. One thing about these shows is they often end on an uncertain note. Did the jury make the wrong decision? Is the real killer still on the prowl? Why were the agents powerless to prevent what they knew was going to happen? Did the cops plant evidence because they knew someone was guilty, but they'd never be able to prove it in court with what they had? It's ugly stuff sometimes, but it makes for fascinating drama. It adds layers and texture to stories. You see this kind of ambiguity even more in movies than most TV shows, but TV has become a lot more like movies for some shows these days than it used to be even five, 10 years ago. And back in the day, Perry Mason always tied up everything neatly in a bow at the conclusion of the show. No loose ends. But these days, ambiguity runs through all kinds of dramatic stories. Mm -hmm. With sales stories, different rules apply. Because you don't have someone curling up in the couch with a bowl of popcorn to read your copy or watch your VSL. In a sales story, ambiguity could very easily lead to confusion, and the confused mind does not buy, as you know. You need to write a simpler, more confident, and frankly, more one-dimensional story when it comes to your copy. You don't want to lead your prospect to mull over many possibilities. Your job with the sales story is to create clarity, certainty, and confidence that what you are selling is what they should be buying. Now, if you, as a writer, have an amazing skill in portraying subtlety and the paradox of human life, that's fine. But save it for something other than your sales copy. So I'm thinking of the old adage, don't tell show. And that's a huge rule for writing. Don't be ham-fisted. Don't beat people over the head with it. The idea, if you force your idea onto them, they're not going to adopt it. But if they come to the idea themselves, it's their idea. In writing copy, we have to kind of find a balance where on it's not really one extreme or the other. In storytelling, in movies, you can you have more time, you have more room to let them come to their conclusion. And sometimes the end of the movie, you deliberately want them to come to their own conclusion. But in a sales message, you want them to come to the conclusion you want them to come to, which is they need to buy this. So there's less room for it. I don't know if 
I would say swing way to the other end of the pendulum, but you definitely got to find that balance between letting people come to the idea themselves and also nudging them or directing them to the idea that you want them to come to. Well, I've heard there's a saying among lawyers that a prosecutor could indict a ham sandwich. (laughs) And the idea I think is depending and indict and convict are two different things. But the, the idea is if you present the evidence in your favor and, or if you present the benefits in a, a logical sense, so someone could really only come to the conclusion if they're the qualified person and they can afford it and it's a good product for them to buy it, then you don't have to force it down their throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so difference number five. Dramatic stories can cover a long span of time. Sales stories usually happen at one point in time or when you have a before and after comparison, two points in time. So maybe now you're thinking of the old TV series, not that old, but sort of old, 24, where everything on each episode happened in one hour. But most dramatic stories cover longer than an hour We talked about Rocky before that takes place over five weeks that it takes for Rocky to get ready for the fight. And typically a cop show on TV takes place over several hours. Most movies take place at least a week or two, sometimes months. And that makes sense for a dramatic story. It takes time for events to unfold, for characters to develop, even though often dramatic stories take place in a compressed version of time compared to real life. They don't take place in an instant, but sales stories do. Sometimes there's a flashback to an earlier time, but a sales story is usually about one event pretty quickly. Take the Wall Street Journal story. Yes, it does talk about what happened 25 years earlier, but that's a flashback. The actual story part of that whole letter is, in fact, four short paragraphs. On a beautiful late spring afternoon, 25 years ago, two young men graduated from the same college. They were very much alike, these two young men. Both had been better than average students. Both were personable and both, as young college graduates are, were filled with ambitious dreams for the future. Okay, that's one point. They graduated. Point two, recently, these young men returned to college for their 25th reunion. They were still very much alike. Both were happily married. Both had three children and both, it turned out, had gone to work for the same Midwestern manufacturing company after graduation, and were still there. But So that's one point in time. That's not a long series of events. But there was a difference. One of the men was manager of a small department of that company. The other was its president. Okay, the rest of the letter is about the value of the information you get in the Wall Street Journal and the offer to subscribe. And at the very end, more as a comment and an underlining of the main points of the letter than in addition to the story, the copy returns to them for, depending on how you want to break this up, two or three sentences. About those two college graduates I mentioned at the beginning of this letter, they were graduated from the college together and together got started in the business world. So what made their lives in business different? Knowledge useful knowledge and its application. That's it. 
quite different from films like Animal House, one hour and 49 minutes, and The Paper Chase, one hour and 51 minutes, or any other dramatic story that involves people in higher education. Wouldn't you say? I want to get your thoughts on this. We've talked in the past about urgency in writing, and especially as you're starting to come, as you're starting to close your sales message, as you start to get to the offer, you, you pick up the cadence, the urgency becomes more intent or intense. I think that that's something that we play with throughout the entire sales message. We want people to take action. They want a solution. They want a solution that they can get now, the microwave popcorn. They don't want to wait six months for a solution. So our story needs to not take six months to tell. And so I wonder, I wonder your thoughts on that on is the, their desire for urgency for a solution and our desire for urgency and then taking action. Does that play a role in the urgency of the storytelling? Yeah. I don't think you want to overthink it because you might have to, you know, shoehorn stuff in uh, fit a round peg in a square hole, but basically, yes, you want to take them into a little moment in their life in the future when they have your product, or you want to show them one person who is like marveling over the change that occurred. You don't want to go over all the steps of the change. You want to go over the emotional reaction of the person as she tells her friend that um, now she can do Pilates for seven hours instead of six at a time or whatever they're going to talk about. And so All of that speaks to the urgency, staying in the moment, being excited, taking action now. Okay. That's it. I can recap the five differences if you'd like to hear them again. Yeah, let's go ahead and recap this week's episode, and then we'll uh, head out of here. All right. So difference number one is dramatic stories are much, much longer than sales stories. Difference number two, dramatic stories often have a moral point and or they convey life wisdom not the job of a sales story. Difference number three, dramatic stories can include complex inner journey, outer journey themes, and multiple plot lines. A sales story is usually simple and about just one thing. Difference number four, dramatic stories can include ambiguities. In other words, gray areas. Sales stories, not so much. And difference number five, dramatic stories can cover a long span of time. Sales stories happen usually at one point in time or when you have a before and after story or testimonial at two points in time. So I'm thinking of some great books that we've recommended on the podcast in the past. Wired for Story is one of them. There's a few other ones that you've brought to my attention. And they have great lessons in capturing people's attention and delivering people to where you want them to go, the the insight that you want them to develop throughout the story, but taking that information and then applying these rules and realizing that you have to, you have to kind of take what works, but then you also have to take what works for sales messages and find that happy medium in between in order to have effective storytelling in your sales message. I think that, I think what you delivered here today is invaluable for people like me who love to use stories in my sales copy. Good. Well, go forth and prosper. Oops. (laughs)
<laughs> All right, David, appreciate this. And listener out there, if you're enjoying this episode, make sure that you head over to copywriterspodcast.com. You can check out more there. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.